Hello, and welcome back again to Abounding Love Podcast. My name is Dave Nelson. We are continuing on in our study through the book of Acts. We find ourselves on this podcast in Acts chapter 21. So, as always, I encourage you to grab your Bibles and open them up there to Acts chapter 21. We finished up with chapter 20 on our last podcast, and we saw how Paul was saying his goodbyes and exhorting a group of elders in Ephesus to to be sure to give special attention, not only to how they live their lives, but also to be very careful with how they take care of the people that which Paul said the Holy Spirit made them overseers of. He reminded those church leaders that the people in their fellowships didn't belong to them. They belonged to Jesus. They were purchased with his blood. And we expounded on that a little bit and if you're part of a church fellowship, that's a good thing. Uh, I encourage you, if you're not part of a church fellowship in your area, to, to find a, a Bible-teaching church uh, and get plugged in and become a part and, and, and bring something to it. Bring something to that fellowship. Don't just sit there and go and, and feed off of it, but bring something into it. But make sure that you realize that your life is led by the Holy Spirit. Your life is led by Jesus Christ. Don't fall into the trap of being a follower of man, a follower of any pastor. Any good pastor is not going to get up on stage and, and expect you to follow him. He's going to point you to Jesus Christ. And he's any good pastor is not going to think that he owns you, you know, or that you're part of his church and you can't go anywhere else. Uh, we need to be Holy Spirit-led people. And our hearts and need to be open to the fact that the Lord may have you one place today and he may move you on someplace else tomorrow. You know, but we need to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been studying a lot about the Holy Spirit. We've been seeing how the early church was led by the Holy Spirit. And it's been very easy to see how far off Christianity has gotten today in terms of that being Holy Spirit-led. It's unfortunate, but we've become about just about everything else other than being led by the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, like I said, find a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, get plugged in, fellowship with other believers. and uh, But even more importantly than that, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or you should. You should know his word. You should know his voice. You should be led by his Holy Spirit. And uh, just a a little exhortation. And we saw in chapter 20 that that Paul was exhorting the the leaders of of the church in Ephesus to this very same fact. Hey, these people don't belong to you. They've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And they belong to him. And as elders in the church, you need to direct people to trusting completely in Jesus and encouraging them to be spirit-led people. Anyway, so we move on. We pick it up on this podcast here in verse 1, chapter 21. It says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kaz, the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patera, And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. 
When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. And there the ship was to unload her cargo. Here again, in these first three verses here, we see Luke, whom the Holy Spirit used to write the book of Acts, uh, giving us much detail about their whole journey. Luke was a part of Paul's group, and he kept the blow-by-blow detail of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, and I'm very thankful that he did. It's, uh, it's exciting to me to, to read about each step of this journey that Paul took. And verse 4 says, In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So the ship had to unload its cargo. So they had some time to stay in town there. The first thing that they did was to seek out some believers in the town. Um, and we, too, can do that as we travel, uh, go on vacations, or you know, you travel to other places. You can always seek out the believers in the town, the like-minded believers, and, and uh, find some good fellowship and, and make some good uh, God-fearing friends. So I encourage you in that as well. But these believers warned Paul not to continue on in his journey to Jerusalem. They loved Paul, and and they knew that danger awaited him in Jerusalem. And if you remember uh, on our last podcast, Paul made mention of this himself. He made mention to the fact that the Holy Spirit was warning him about what awaited him in Jerusalem. Let's just turn back one chapter from where we are here in uh, chapter 21. Turn to chapter 20. And let's just go back and uh, look. Uh, start reading in verse 22. We'll read verses 22 through 24. Okay? It says, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So even though the Holy Spirit was showing Paul what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem, and we'll see more about that, we'll talk more about that as we go on, but Paul was determined go to Jerusalem anyway. Nothing was going to move Paul off of his course. Was it the right choice? That's debatable, but let's talk more about that as we go on. Let's turn back to chapter 21. We'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. So here again, another tearful goodbye. As they all realize they may never see Paul again. What is it that is really going to happen with Paul when he gets to Jerusalem? Kind of interesting here, isn't it? Let's let's just read on. Verse 7. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. Now, I encourage you to go back and see the proper way to pronounce the name of that city. 
Um, but anyway, everywhere, everywhere they traveled, they sought out the Christians and they spent time with them, you know? And like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's kind of nice to know that wherever we go, we can find believers in Jesus Christ. On the next day, verse 8 says, We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. You know, back in uh, Acts chapter 6, a while back, we studied about how there was a large amount of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It became overwhelming for the original 12 apostles to be able to take care of all those people. So they chose seven men that were of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they put them in charge of taking care of the daily needs of the widows and such. And Philip was one of those seven men that were chosen. And Philip was an evangelist, and he evidently lived in Caesarea. Now, another man that was one of the chosen seven was a man named Stephen. He was martyred, which then opened the floodgates of persecution upon Christians. And um, one of the men that was largely responsible for the death of Stephen was Saul, whom later we know him as Paul after his conversion, right? So Stephen and Philip were pretty close. They worked together. They were one of the chosen seven that, uh, that, that ministered to the daily needs of the widows and such. And Philip and Stephen were probably pretty close with one another, I'm sure. And now, here's Paul at the home of Philip. It's pretty amazing, huh? You know, Saul gave his life to Jesus. And even though Philip knew about Paul's past, he forgave him, and he opened his home to him anyway. It's just a pretty neat story there when you think about it. Okay? Um, Part of the chosen seven, Philip was, and Stephen was. Paul consented to the death of Stephen before his conversion, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. But here Philip just opens his home to this man and allows him in. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. Just leaving that which is behind, behind, knowing that this man has been born again, knowing that all things are new for Paul now has a completely different journey that he's on in life. And Philip was mature enough to recognize that and received Paul into his home. Now verse 9 goes on. It says, Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. This was a great legacy for Philip. He had four daughters, and each one of them were dedicated to serving the Lord with their life. They, they may have went on and got married and continued to serve the Lord, but at this point in their lives, they were virgins dedicated to God. And, you know, just while we're on that subject there, godly women are one of three things. They're either virgins, they're married and no longer virgins, they're repentant of their past lifestyle and born again. That's, that's it. That's all... Godly women can be either virgins, marry and no longer virgins, or repentant of their past lifestyle and born again. You know what I mean? So that they've moved on. 
They, uh, godly women respect their bodies and honor the Lord by not giving their bodies to anyone but to their husbands. And godly men will honor their bodies as well. Let's turn to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. We're just going to divert a little bit from our story here in Acts chapter 21. But, you know, as we come upon this verse here that talks about Philip having four virgin daughters, um, let's touch on this subject briefly. Um, First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1. Hopefully you're there. It says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. You see, God's will is that we be sanctified. And the idea behind sanctification is to be set apart. God wants us as followers of Jesus Christ to be set apart from a godless culture and their sexual immorality. If our sexual behavior is no different than the people who do not know God, then we are not sanctified and set apart. Those that do not know God do not have the spiritual resources to walk in purity before the Lord, but the Holy Spirit-filled followers of Jesus do. The Greek word used there for sexual immorality is the word pornea. And this word means any sexual relationship outside of marriage. It's where we get our word pornography from. So stop and think about that. When someone looks at pornography on the internet, let's say, or when someone gives away their virginity before they get married, it's one and the same. It's all sexual immorality. Our bodies are not to be given to anyone but our spouse. If you have sex before you get married, you are defrauding your future mate of what was supposed to be his or hers, and this will have a damaging impact on your marriage. You will reap from what you sow. Okay, but let's, let's move on. Go ahead and turn back to Acts chapter 21. So they're now at the home of Philip. And picking up in verse 10, it says, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When, when he had come to us, He took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, 
so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, Agabus was a trustworthy prophet in that day. But um, here he has a flair for the dramatic, you know, gives Paul a demonstration. But here again, the fact of the matter is, is Paul is being warned once more by the Holy Spirit. But it didn't matter to Paul because he did not count his life dear to himself. He was focused on what he was going to do. And he moved on. So let's see. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So here, all the more. The people in Tyre and all of Paul's group were begging him not to go to Jerusalem. They loved him. They didn't want to see him go through the trials that awaited him there. Verse uh, 13. I love this verse. (laughs) Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So here again, we see Paul's determination. But, Was going to Jerusalem the right thing? Was the Holy Spirit trying to put up roadblocks for Paul? Well, one thing for sure, nothing was going to change Paul's mind. Let's read on. Verse 14. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. So they tried. They tried to persuade him, but finally they got to the point where they realized Paul was not going to be persuaded, and they said, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us, Gladly. Now, there's really not much said about this Manasin of Cyprus guy, um, other than uh, if you do a little study on his name, his name has to do with hospitality. So it's kind of neat that he opened his home up and they lodged with him there. But verse 18 says, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, He told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. So they had a good reaction, James and the other elders. They're like, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. It's neat to see what the Lord's doing in the the, uh, Gentiles. Excuse me. But they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. And they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to their customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. So they have four men there that have taken a Nazarite vow. Um, 
They weren't going to touch. Uh, they weren't going to touch any grapes. They weren't going to cut their hair, uh, drink any wine. And you, we, we've talked about that in the past, the Nazarite vow. But um, so they've got long hair for one thing. We'll see. And in verse twenty-four says, "Take them and be purified with them. Pay their expenses, so that they may shave their heads, and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law." But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written uh, and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now, I personally believe that this is a, a very strange and a very difficult time in Paul's life. Prior to making it to Jerusalem, he was warned, as we've talked about here much, he was warned not to go, but he was determined to go no matter what. So then he arrives and gathers with James and some of the other leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He tells them all the good things that happened on his missionary journey, that, and, and they're happy about this. But they lay something heavy on him. The Jews in Jerusalem have heard things about Paul that were upsetting to them. Paul preached freedom and liberty in Christ. There was no more need to obey religious rituals. So you would think that Paul would stand up and say to James and these church leaders, hey, I'm not doing that. Why should I? There's no need for such a thing. But we've got to remember Paul's calling. We've got to remember Paul's focus. He was single-minded. Paul was, Paul, Paul was um, called to preach the gospel. And he would do whatever it took to do just that. You know, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So to the right of where we are now, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's begin reading in verse 16. And we'll read verses 16 through 23. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. It says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win them all. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. So, like I said, Paul had a single focus. He would preach the gospel with all he had, and he would do whatever it took to reach everyone. 
And you know, today it still goes on. Many American missionaries have left the comforts of their American culture and have moved into remote villages and taken on the customs and the traditions of the natives in an effort to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And turning back to Acts chapter 21, that's what we see Paul doing. I believe that even though Paul did not agree with the church leaders, and I say that based on other things that Paul had read, uh, has written, and you need to study the whole counsel of the Word of God, um, and you can read some other things that Paul has written. But he went ahead here, and he did what they asked him to do. You know, um, Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, which was a letter written to the Jewish Christians explaining to them that, that these rituals that they did were not necessary. So the church leaders here, though, told Paul what to do to get in a good standing with the Jews. And they asked Paul to take four guys into the temple with him and pay their way through the purification process. Okay, So then verse 26 says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this place, this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Okay, so, so now, remember all those warnings that the Holy Spirit had given Paul about going to Jerusalem? Well, it's all coming to fruition right now. Verse 30, And all the city was disturbed, and all the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, Immediately, the doors were shut. You know, it's been said that everywhere Paul went, there was either a revival or a riot. (laughs) And in, in this case, it was a riot. He had such a strong desire to be in Jerusalem, and now he's kicked out of the temple and the doors are shut. But I can't help wondering if all the warnings that the Holy Spirit was giving to Paul were indications that the Lord had already shut that door. But Paul loved the Jewish people. And when his eyes were opened to the truth of who Jesus was and is, his heart was burdened to take that truth to his own people. But Jesus told him that his primary ministry would be to the Gentiles. But I can't help but wonder if this trial of Paul's here is self-inflicted something that was just based on his own desire to do what he wanted to do no matter what. But you know, he's not unlike the rest of us. Sometimes we get our hearts set on something, but God closes the door and we kick that door down anyway, only to find out that we wish we would have obeyed God. Now, verse 31 says, as they were seeking to kill him, news came 
to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran to, down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So notice this. The soldiers and the centurions came to Paul's rescue. But where was the church? He did all the things they wanted him to do. But when he was in trouble, they were nowhere to be found. Praise God, that's not the way of the Lord. You know, people will place burdens on you and want you to jump through hoops to their liking, but when the chips are down, they disappear. But a lesson for all of us to learn here is that we shouldn't compromise what we know is right in our hearts to be pleasing to other people. Okay? Let your life be pleasing to the Lord, and he'll take care of the rest. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Paul was zealous and determined, and his call was a special call, but we can learn from this situation that we need only do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do, and not what man or not what the own, our own desires tell us to do. We need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Even when it's church leaders telling you something. If it's contrary to what we see in the Word of God, if it's contrary to what the Holy Spirit is telling you, then don't do it. Okay, we're going to stop here for this podcast. We'll finish this chapter on our next podcast and and probably go right on into chapter 22. But let's pray. Father God in heaven, we once again thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we don't walk through this life alone, that we have the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to counsel us. And we pray, Lord, that our ears would be attentive, that our hearts would be obedient to your Holy Spirit as we walk through this life. That we would not desire to be pleasing to man, but that our lives would be pleasing to you. So God, as we turn our eyes to your throne, we pray that you will lead and direct us through this life. This temporary, very short vapor of a life that we have here. We desire to live for your glory. We thank you for men like Paul that devoted their lives to preaching the gospel, to spreading the word, that even to this day we have your word because of men like him. So we thank you for his life and for the example that he is. We thank you most of all for your death, your burial, your resurrection, and the fact that you are coming again and that you have given us life and life more abundantly given us eternal life in your presence. So we thank you and praise you for who you are, Jesus. We love you. We pray that we'll continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you. Thank you for this time, again in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, guys. Thanks for listening.